Hi, Scott. Hello, Rebecca. Welcome to Hardy Party Five and a Half. Well, thank you. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I appreciate you letting me be on the show today. <laughs> well, you act like I'm the talent most of the time. I just come in and sit down. Yep. You whisk your way in with all your entourage and then we have to get them out of the studio. Yes. After I've got all the technical stuff ready, you have then my, you sit down. And my chair that you put a pillow in for me. Yes. So I you'll mean, be comfortable. Seriously. Right. You are... You're the best. What what would you be called? Like a green room host? <laughs> well, event planner or I would I would like to say executive producer. That's what you are. Yes. Because then if we have interviews, we go over questions and who's going to ask them. You're so good at it. Everybody's got to get behind the scenes of what we do here. Yeah. Or if it's something we're talking about, we go through the notes of back and forth of what we we've do. researched and all. So. We've researched because let me tell you this right now. You're a really good researcher. I really enjoy it. Maybe I've missed my calling. I think you have. Yep. So you researched this that we're talking about today. It's it's the D.B. Cooper case. Right. And it is still, is it's called a cold case, right? Well, yes, because they've never, it's an unsolved cold case because yeah. it happened in 1971. Right. That was within, it's weird to think that was in our lifetime. Yeah. I mean, I was one, but yeah. yeah. Well, I was also one. Yeah. I yeah. turned one before you then. Right. So, so you're, way, you're way older. I am. So, yeah, I mean, it's such a fascinating story. And I'm going to tell you why it doesn't bother me. It's fascinating to me and not creepy. Did you used to watch Unsolved Mysteries? I did. I love that show. I loved it, but I almost, there was times that like, I couldn't watch it and then go straight to bed. You know, if I watch something like creepy or scary, I have to like watch something funny. Well, you're still, you still do that. Yeah, I know. That's yeah. what I'm saying now. Now I do this. Yeah. So I guess I used to do that when I was a kid too, or whatever. So if we watch that Unsolved Mysteries, I couldn't just like go straight to bed because it's too creepy. And, and this, I think it was partly the music, the yeah, and Robert, 80s. And Robert Sack's hair. Um, <laughs> but yes, th- but this one it doesn't, it doesn't scare me or give me the creeps. I actually have like a, some admiration for this dude, like, because he didn't hurt anybody. Right. I think that's why I think that I'm, I don't feel threatened if he's still out there. Like, I guess when I was a kid, I'm like, these people are still on the loose. I'm probably going to die tonight. Well, a lot of unsolved on that show. It was a lot of murders and yes. killings. And... I don't think the DB Coopers are going to come knocking on our door and yeah. like threaten me. So I think that's probably why this doesn't bother me. Do you have- or do, it's not that creep factor that mm. that you would have with other cases. Yeah, it's almost like ad- admirable in a weird way. Well, it's cool that he get you know, in the back of our minds, none of us want to break the law. Well, most of us don't. Mm. Some of us don't want to break the law. <laughs> but in walk, the back of our minds, back. <laughs> in the back of our minds, it's kind of cool when, because you think of some of the Wild West heroes like Jesse James yeah. and even a D- and now a D.B. Cooper, you think, well, he didn't really do anything. We don't know. Well, with Jesse James, he killed people, but <laughs> Walk it back. or what's the other <laughs> Billy the Kid? He killed people. But with like a D.B. Cooper, you don't really know that he hurt anybody and he yeah. just got some money, which is still not the best thing to do. It's not the right thing to do. Yeah. But in the back of our minds, we're like, oh, he kind of got away with that. So yeah. I think that's kind of what's intriguing about the case is man, if I, would you do something like that if you knew you're going to get away with it? Right. And I think that's part of the allure of this whole case is, man, he totally got away with this because he's probably no longer with us because right. this was 50 years ago. And they're guessing back then that he was probably mid forties, early forties. So he's probably not with us anymore. Scott, so. 
Yeah. Am I a bad person if I say I would totally do it if I knew I wasn't going to get caught? <laughs> well, now we know if you do, we're, we're looking at you now. You're now a suspect in a future crime. Okay. Can we delete the last 20 seconds? <laughs> no, I'm keeping that in just in case. In case the authorities need it later, I'm keeping that in. I mean, maybe that's what's so cool about it. Anyways. So, and we were, before we got on, we were talking about, you know, cold cases that and you thought of that show that creeped yeah. you out what creeped me out has always been jack the ripper yeah because i watch shows too young about jack the ripper when i was probably a preteen and younger not smart and and there was movies like michael Caine was in a movie they've made so many movies about it bad parenting <laughs> sorry mom and dad um but there's a creepiest to that first of all they're so violent that it's yeah. creepy but also, it's also unsolved. Mm -hmm. So they don't really know who that is. And they probably never will. Yeah. So I think that's what, especially if you lived back then, that would be so creepy to know that there was a killer out there in the London area. And like, for 20 or 30 years, like, could, could many, I be hanging many, out with this yeah, guy? How many people did he kill? Oh, gosh, I can't remember. There, It really wasn't that many. I believe it was maybe four okay. or five. But it was still, they were very gruesome murders. So I just remember being totally creeped out, but yet creeped out and fascinated at the same time. Mm -hmm. Because like the TV movie with Michael Caine, I was all over that. They didn't really show the murders. It was a TV movie, so it yeah. was very tame as far as that goes. But there's been other like theoretical movies, theatrical movies that have been a lot more, yeah. showed a lot more. And I don't want to get into that. Yeah. That's not my thing. I gotta have closure, man. But the mystery of it definitely intrigues me. This yeah. one doesn't bother me without the closure because I think it's because there's no danger involved. Right. So, yeah. So anyways, this is a great conversation. He also gives us a little insider tip on who he might think it is. And we talk about a whole nother mystery that's still unsolved and has a reward. People listen up. <laughs> Here's our interview. So you're either going to steal the money or get the reward. One of the two is coming. <laughs> okay. I mean, one of the two. Okay. So enjoy our interview with Eric Ulis. D.B. Cooper. D.B. Cooper. D.B. Cooper. D.B. Cooper. Walking to an airport back then was like walking into a supermarket. Put down 20 bucks and you got a flight. That was pretty much it. That was what Cooper did that day. The hijacker carrying a briefcase which held explosives. He asks for $200,000 and four parachutes. Once his demands have been met. He jumps out of a jet in the middle of the night. I mean, there's just something kind of bad about that when he got on a plane last night he was just another passenger but today master criminal he was a kind of a god i think he's one of the slickest cats that ever walked on the face of the earth he is this anti-hero individualist figure we don't know who he is or was where he came from or where he went this is a case that questions who you are what you believe what you want to believe and what really happened anybody with a laptop can feel like they're investigating the best work in the case has been done recently by Citizen Sleuths. My team has no doubt we have found D.B. Cooper. He won't believe how crazy it gets. Every piece of this story is controversial. Every fact is not quite the fact that you think that it is. This case is one of the most interesting things that I participated in in the FBI. It endures. There are new suspects all the time, but there's no direct link to any of them. Focus on the facts. This case forces you to question your own sanity. Why did you run, Bob, if you're not guilty? We have over 100 pieces of evidence. The treasure's too great. It's too good a story. Cooper's dead. I know who he is in my heart. 
You're sucked into the Cooper Vortex. So Eric, we just thank you so much for joining us on Hardy Party of Five and a Half. You have so much insight on this topic and we're, well, I am new to this. He knew a lot about this. I've over the years, like since I was a kid, I've kind of followed a little bit. It's like intrigued me. Yeah. As, what, as a kid and a guy, you're like, what is this? It's kind of cool what he did, if you think about it. Yeah. Because he really didn't hurt anybody that we know of. And it's kind of, there's that part of you, the old West outlaw that wants to, yeah. to find out what he did. Mm-hmm. So I came across you. There's a Netflix show out right now called D.B. Cooper, Where Are You? And it's a pretty cool little show about mm-hmm. kind of investigating what the D.B. Cooper case is all about. So can you just give us a synopsis for someone that doesn't know what the D.B. Cooper case is? Yeah. What is it all about? Yeah, very brief summary. Uh, Thanksgiving Eve of 1971, uh, a guy shows up in Portland, Oregon at the airport, uh, buys a ticket uh, to Seattle, 20 bucks in cash. Uh, Once he boards the plane, he hijacks the plane. Uh, He has a briefcase that apparently carries a bomb. Uh, so the jet's flying up to Seattle and, uh, he orders, uh, $200,000 in cash and four parachutes and basically says, if you deliver those things to the airport and deliver them to me, we're talking Seattle airport here, uh, that I'll let the passengers go. Uh, the parachutes and the money show up at Seattle. He lets the plane land. He receives the money and parachutes, lets the passengers go. Uh, and then at that point, uh, he orders uh, the flight crew, which at this point is the three pilots on the flight deck and one of the flight attendants. Uh, they, they stay with him, but he orders uh, the jet to fly to Mexico. Uh, they say that they're going to have to refuel in uh, Reno, Nevada. So he agrees to refuel in Reno, Nevada. But what's interesting is that there are some specific things that he requested as well. Uh, one, that the jet not fly over 10,000 feet, that the jet fly unpressurized with the flaps uh, at a 15 degree flap setting, uh, the landing gear to remain down and the lights to remain out. So it was basically lumbering along at a pretty slow speed down the Reno. Uh, also, there the type of jet he skyjacked is a Boeing 727, which is unique because it has a built-in air stairs apparatus that deploys from the back bottom of the fuselage. Uh, this is a specially designed in this airplane in case, in case they happen to be, uh, you know, service a small airport. They don't need a jet walk or a truck with air stairs or anything like that to, for passengers to embark or disembark the plane the the jet has it built in on its own Uh, but he wanted those air stairs actually hanging down opened uh, at takeoff the pilots refused to take off with the air stairs down and he eventually agreed to let the jet take off with the air stairs up but he basically said as soon as the jet takes off he's going to lower them Uh, so the jet does take off from seattle flying to reno ostensibly to refuel on the way down to mexico Uh, A few minutes later, he lowers the air stairs. uh, And then about 36 minutes after taking off from Seattle with the three pilots and the flight attendant all up on the flight deck. So D.B. Cooper is alone in the back all by himself. 
Uh, he jumps out of the jet with the parachutes and the money and the briefcase, never to be seen or heard from again. Wow. Okay. So how many how many uh, parachutes did he get? Because couldn't they have just given him a bad parachute and that had been kind of the end of the story? He but said he got four, yeah. He got four? Yeah. He, so did well, they he was going to take hostages with him then? Well, he requested... He request what he actually requested was two front parachutes and two back parachutes. Uh, okay. Normally, normally when you jump, you have a parachute in the back, and then you have a reserve that attaches to the front. So you've got. So he essentially requested two sets. What makes this unique is that he wasn't very specific about that. So what ended up happening is the authorities delivered to him two back parachutes that are called emergency rig parachutes. I know we're getting complicated here, but yeah. those parachutes, those back parachutes are designed uh, for emergency situations and are not capable of having a reserve attached to the front. Hmm. So uh, he, ordered, he got those two back parachutes, plus he got two reserve parachutes. As fate would have it, one of the reserve parachutes actually was not functional uh, the person that collected them at a local skydives shop uh, or school didn't uh, notice that one of them was a training parachute. It was uh, essentially uh, inoperable. It's just used for ground training purposes. So that actually was delivered to him wow. uh, uh, along with the three other good functioning parachutes. Yeah. That's so crazy. <laughs> so how, how did you personally come to get involved in this case? Like what, What's what? How did how'd you get drawn in here? You know what? I I think I don't recall exactly, but I think that it was was in the late 1970s, probably around 1978 or so, that uh, there was a sh show on TV by with uh, called In Search of, and Leonard Nimoy was the host, and there was an episode that related to the DB Cooper skyjacking, and at that point, it had been eight years, so it was a mystery, an eight-year-old mystery. And uh, I was a kid, aviation buff, and I suspect that it probably had something to do with just being fascinated with all things aviation that had caught my attention. And it was just one of these things that I paid attention to over the intervening decades. It, I wasn't overly enamored with it, but I was aware of it. And as new things would pop up over the, the years, I wouldn't take note. But again, about, uh, about 12 or 13 years ago, I got more involved. I, I started taking it more seriously and looking into it more seriously. I say that it started out as just a guilty pleasure, just something fun to look into and explore. Yeah. And it just turned into something much bigger. Yeah. It's so fascinating. Okay. So do you think, would it be this easy to do that now? Cause he, could he have done the same thing today? Do you think? Uh, no, he yeah. he couldn't uh, for a couple of reasons. One, because that air stairs apparatus has now been modified whereby it cannot be opened in flight. So there's that yeah, very yeah. practical ap uh, apparatus. But beyond that, I suppose somebody could skyjack a jet again, maybe get through TSA somehow and, and try something akin to the DB Cooper skyjacking. But it's difficult to imagine how somebody would get away with it today with technology being what it is. Mm -hmm. It's important to note that D.B. Cooper is a complete unknown. They have no idea what his true identity is. He, they don't know where he came from. They don't know how he got to the airport. They don't know what his name was. Then they don't know where he went. Uh, it's very, very difficult to imagine somebody being able to do that nowadays with you know cameras everywhere and 
And obviously when you get on a plane, you have to, you know, give your real name and show identification and everything else, which was, uh, was not the case back in 1971. The other thing that's so unrealistic is that nowadays it wouldn't be a $20 plane ticket. (laughs) That's true. That's right. When you said $20, I was was like, man, that sounds nice. Yeah. So, and when he signed in, the funny thing is that he didn't even sign in as DB Cooper. He signed in as Dan. So why do we think he's DB Cooper now? Well, the the thing is, he actually didn't sign in. He simply uh, the ticket agent asked his name, and he gave the name Dan uh, Cooper, and, and the ticket agent wrote Dan Cooper on the ticket. Yeah. What happened is, uh, uh, within a few hours of the skyjacking, obviously the media started reporting on this, and there was a reporter who uh, erroneously reported the skyjacker's name as D.B. Cooper, not Dan Cooper. Uh, the authorities quick everybody realized within you know a day that that's the that then db cooper is the, the incorrect name that dan cooper is the name that the guy actually gave mm-hmm. but db cooper is just a cooler sounding really name yeah. so it just stuck i mean people yeah. just I mean, people have just called him db cooper ever since yeah. it just stuck yeah kind of like jesse james is an outlaw db cooper sounds like dan cooper just sounds like a guy that works in a cubicle or yeah it does. that's right yeah <laughs> Yeah. So let's get into some details of the series. Like they focused on a couple of things within the limited series. And one of them was Robert Rackstraw. They spent a lot of time on him. So why has he always been such a big suspect in this? Well, he hasn't been actually always been a big suspect. Uh, What you have here in the D.B. Cooper world and with Rackstraw and with a couple other suspects as well, is you have some people that uh, they they get attached to a suspect and they almost promote the suspect as the real okay. D.B. Cooper. And and that's the case with Rackstraw here. There's a gentleman named Tom Colbert who's prominently featured in the show. He's been the main driving force behind, you know, this narrative that Robert Rackstraw was D.B. Cooper. And Robert Rackstraw was not D.B. Cooper. He was eliminated decades ago by the FBI. And, uh, and there, so there's absolutely no question about it. He wasn't D.B. Cooper. But uh, that hasn't uh, stopped uh, Tom Colbert from pursuing that narrative, like I said. And Tom Colbert is, you know, one of these guys that just so happens has a fair number of contacts in the media and knows how to work it. So he's been particularly effective at getting that narrative out there. And for the purposes of this Netflix show, they did focus quite a bit on on that story, the Robert Rackstraw story. But it's not because they're promoting Robert Rackstraw as D.B. Cooper. It was more or less they were using it more or less as a vehicle that the Robert Rackstraw, Tom Colbert sort of you know uh, drama if you will as a vehicle yeah. to sort of introduce viewers to this uh, let's call it a cult following to some degree surrounding db cooper and you know trying to figure out who this guy was so it's kind of like with the news kind of going into the story you've already you've decided what your answer is and you're trying to use all the facts to make that the answer even though it's not it really isn't yeah well, I mean, if you ask Tom Colbert, he, you know, he seems to think that he's right, that Robert Rackstraw was D.B. Cooper. But for, you know, everyone else uh, that's a, familiar with the case, and I'm obviously very familiar with the case, it, uh-huh. it's clear. It's absolutely clear that he was not D.B. Cooper. And there are a number of critical problems with Colbert's theory. But, 
you know, again, that, that doesn't seem to matter. And, and again, this, this is not uncommon in the Cooper vortex, as they call it. It's not <laughs> uncommon to see, uh, you know, people, you know, the carnival barker type of people that just, yeah. you know, they have an agenda. And I think it, their agenda revolves less around trying to solve the D.B. Cooper mystery and more around trying to make themselves famous for mm-hmm. solving the D.B. Cooper mystery, even if they didn't really solve the D.B. Cooper mystery. Yeah. Yeah. So also in the show, they spent some time on as a comic book fan. This really caught my interest. There's a comic book character called Dan Cooper, a Canadian comic book that was around in the 50s and 60s, I think. So how did that play into the the whole scenario? Well, there are some that think that the name Dan Cooper, uh, which was that was given to the ticket agent, wasn't just a random name the skyjackers selected some believe that he must have come across this this comic book that was printed in french uh i think it was french uh that uh was called dan cooper i i don't subscribe to that theory i just think it's coincidence you know there i've seen a lot of coincidences in in this case and you know it's it's not a i mean dan cooper let's face it is not a rare name i mean there are a lot of dans out there and there are an awful lot of coopers out there so uh, I don't actually put any weight behind that connection. But that said, I suppose it is theoretically possible that the Skyjacker, you know, was in Belgium at some point in, in the 50s or whatever and came across this comic book and was, it was memorable. And therefore, he used that name uh, when he checked in at Portland. I, I don't know. Interesting. Hmm. So what's the craziest theory you've heard on D.B. Cooper's identity? Uh, there are a lot of crazy theories. Uh, I think, you know, one of the, there, like a couple that come to mind, uh, and this is from reading the FBI files, there was a guy who uh, was watching TV, an old show, uh, an old, I think it was Perry Mason, it was a Perry Mason sh- TV show, which is an old show for <laughs> no longer around. But he was watching the show and he saw that one of the supporting actors he thought resembled the D.B. Cooper sketch. So he thought that (laughs) man has to be D.B. Cooper. So he contacted the FBI and the FBI looked into it and and he wasn't D.B. Cooper. Uh, There's another guy who contacted the FBI and insisted that he had a special divining device that could point to where the money was hidden, where the money was. So the FBI contacted this guy and this divining device was essentially uh, a glass of uh, water with Alka-Seltzer in it and a wire, like a loose wire that I guess would kind of point in a certain direction. So you have a lot of crazy things like that, but the FBI has to take them seriously because in the case of the divining device, I mean, obviously that's not going to work and point to the money. But who knows that, you know, from the FBI's perspective, they're thinking maybe D.B. Cooper was, uh, you know, crazy man. And maybe this is D.B. Cooper trying to pretend like he found the money, you know, and therefore is entitled to keep it or something with this special divining device. So, you know, it, it's the FBI did put a, an awful lot of effort into really kind of investigating all aspects of the case. Some of that was was credible. And some other tips and leads were a little kooky, but uh, they were obliged to investigate. And uh, yeah. and indeed, that's what they did. So there, there are quite a few stories like that. 
Yeah. I think I'm going to try the divining thing and see if oh I can. We have a park out back. I'm going to see if I can find any money. That, <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask, yeah. do they, the FBI does, I mean, any crazy lead that's just thrown in, they have to go, they have to like do their due diligence with that? Well, I think that they realized that the divining device itself was not going to work, yeah. but they couldn't be certain that the gentleman who presented the divining device as a, you know, mechanism that he wasn't D.B. Sure. Cooper, like I said, pretending to uh, yeah. find the money at some point. Yeah. So so they have to do a little bit of due diligence in, in the case of that. And yeah. and even other other people. I mean, so, yeah, they 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 were thorough with respect yeah. to uh, reviewing suspects and persons yeah. of interest. Yeah. OK, interesting. So, OK, CooperCon 2022 is November what, 18th, uh, 18th through the 20th in uh vancouver washington what is that i mean we are big we've done comic-con and some other stuff like that what is Cooper we haven't Con? done cooper con yet never man. done cooper con i feel like we but, should. Yeah. cooper con is very cool if you like the, the db cooper mystery and uh basically it's a it's a three-day event uh, as you noted november 8th friday november 18th through sunday november 20th which is the weekend before thanksgiving takes place in vancouver washington at the kiggins theater um, and basically it's an event where we, uh, have, uh, experts and witnesses and, and people of that nature, uh, offer presentations and have panel discussions and engage in audience, you know, questions and so forth for the three days. So it gives people an opportunity to, uh, learn about the case and, uh, learn about some of the newer scientific evidence that's been, dis uh, and th uh, clues and things of that nature that have been discovered recently that may actually well solve the case, but at the same time also hear from witnesses. Uh, for example, this year again, we're going to have Bill Mitchell there on stage with me. Bill Mitchell uh, sat right next to D.B. Cooper, sat right across the aisle from D.B. Oh, yeah. Cooper. Uh, yeah, so there were only two people sitting in the back row. D.B. Cooper was on the right-hand side. Bill Mitchell was on the left. So he mm -hmm. witnessed this thing firsthand. Uh, the air traffic controller, for example, who managed, you know, the hijacked airliner and the Air Force chase planes and all that. Uh, he'll be with us as well uh, and other variety of experts and so forth. In addition to there'll be cool artifacts like we'll have some of the D.B. Cooper money because a portion of the ransom was actually found eight years after the skyjacking buried in the sand along the Columbia River. Uh, so we'll have some of the money there. Uh, we will have other uh, artifacts and things of that nature related to the skyjacking. Uh, so it's just a lot of fun as far as that goes. Then every evening as well, uh, we have what the, we call socials. And the socials are at a, at a local brew pub called Victor 23, which is themed. It's a D.B. Cooper themed brew pub where there's food and all that kind of stuff. And we everybody gets together. Uh, in the evenings after each day of the CooperCon event and just socialize, just have fun and swap stories and, yeah. and all kinds of stuff. So it's just a lot of fun for, uh, you know, three days there in uh, Vancouver, Washington. Okay. Weird question. Do people dress up for this? I was just thinking Do people that, come yeah. in backpacks or dress up like pilots? We've had a few. Yeah. Have We've had you? people dress as D.B. Cooper. Uh, we had a woman last year dressed as one of the flight attendants and the, uh, and when I say dressed as one of the flight attendants, we're talking in uh, uh, era. It, it, yeah. The clothing that she was wearing was of the 1970s era. Yeah, so so oh, it, yeah. it was really spectacular. So 
yeah, you get some really interesting people that really kind of go all out as far, yeah. as, far as that goes. I think and then, you know, I've, I also have CooperCon t-shirts available for others who want to like, you know, kind of roll with it, but don't want to necessarily, yeah. you know, go back to the Halloween stuff. So, yeah, yeah. it's so fun. That's very I cool. Like, I, would, I think I would This like sounds that. pretty fun. I know. Yeah. So I recently was like researching, I was researching the researcher, like we talked before mm-hmm. we started recording. Some people call it stalking. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, and I noticed a story where there, there could be a clip on tie that's telling us a lot about the case that could maybe blow this wide open. So what about a clip-on tie may help solve this case, or will it? Uh, well, yes. D.B. Cooper, uh, when he when the jet ar- arrived in Reno and D.B. Cooper was gone, he had obviously jumped. One of the things that the authorities found on board the jet was a skinny black clip-on tie that D.B. Cooper had been wearing. So D.B. Cooper apparently took it off and threw it on his chair and just accidentally left it behind. Now, in 1971, the tie was analyzed at Quantico in Virginia, you know, the FBI, and they didn't they couldn't find much. I mean, it was 1971. But in later years, uh, really primarily in the last 10 years or so, obviously uh, enhances in, uh, in science and the technology around science have, have exploded, obviously. And uh, so the tie has actually been explored uh, with an electron microscope. The particles of, uh, that were on the tie have been dis- through, explored through an electron microscope. And what we've learned is that there was a very unique, broad array of very fine particles that were all over D.B. Cooper's tie. And they were uh, primarily of specialty metals like titanium and titanium alloys and zinc and stainless steel and aluminum and a whole in rare earth elements, a whole odd array of particles that would be a little unusual today, not to mention 1971. Why this is important is it's consistent with the aerospace sector. It, it is consistent with somebody who was worked in or around the aerospace sector. Uh, so uh, I think that that's critically important. That seems to point to a specific area where D.B. Cooper came from. But uh, more recently, meaning within the last four or five months, um, I actually combed through all the tide data and I noticed three very unique particles that were of a titanium and antimony alloy uh, of a very specific uh, ingredient, basically recipe, if you will. And, uh, and it pertains to it seems to be consistent with a patent that a company in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania obtained uh, in the 50s. And then they had a, another similar patent in the 1960s. So uh, what's unique about this particle, it was never commercially produced and commercially disseminated. So it does appear that D.B. Cooper having three particles of this particular alloy on his tie, it does appear that he could have only picked these particles up at this specific company. Wow. A company was called Remcru Titanium. It later changed its name to Crucible Steel. Uh, so I do think that there's a very real possibility that D.B. Cooper was an employee or former employee of uh, this this company, Remcru Titanium Crucible Steel. Uh, and in fact, I was just down there yesterday in the Pittsburgh area uh, looking into the company. And I, I have a person of interest as well that I'm looking into. So uh, so this is uh, this is hot off the press kind of stuff wow. going on here. So. Uh, I think ultimately we'll figure out who this guy was. 
Yeah. Should we ask him if he can tell us right now? He no, probably won't. Win. I don't ask him. No. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Uh, I'm going to say, I, let's say I have a person of interest, but I haven't publicly released the person's name yeah, because that wouldn't be fair. The person's right, yeah. no longer alive, but it still wouldn't be fair to that gentleman or his family. Yeah. Uh, but if, you know, if, if enough evidence stacks up, then that's a different story. But uh, but I do, you know, I, I think is a very real possibility that uh, I, I think we're I think we're circling around or orbiting around db cooper's neighborhood yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, i think we're very sure. very close yeah so something that confused me is about it, what what do you think his motive was because usually in i would think in a case like this you would want to be known like why didn't he later come forth and say hey it's me and get you know be infamous so what what do you think his motivation for all of this would have been well, I think his motivation was the money. I don't think it's overly complicated. I suspect that D.B. Cooper was just a, a middle-aged guy who maybe had a, a pink slip in his hand. He would, had recently got laid off or something of that nature and was just uh, in a bad shape financially. And for whatever reason, he decided this was his ticket out. Mm -hmm. And uh, but I, I so I think he was motivated by the money. That said, it does appear that uh, the money wasn't spent, or at least all of it, because it seems like it would have showed up. It seems like we would have come across, you know, some of that money at some point. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think the reason for that is because D.B. Cooper, uh, if he had a pink slip in hand in 1971, may have actually gotten hired back uh, in 1972. That's kind of the nature of the aerospace sector at that time. And I don't think D.B. Cooper was a career criminal. I just think it was a one-off event. You know, a guy who just kind of went, you know, off the deep end for a, a few days there. Yeah. And uh, I've said this many times before that if there's one thing that we can be relatively certain of that D.B. Cooper valued more than the $200,000 that he received, it's his freedom. And if he for some reason felt like, you know, spending the money would put him at risk uh, I, I can easily see a situation whereby he would have not spent the money. And, and again, if he had been laid off and then he was hired back when the things improved, you know, seven or eight months later, that may that may explain uh, why he opted, you know, to, to not spend the money. So that is so fascinating. I know. So Crazy. people love this kind of stuff. What other cases have you have like anything else caught your eye? Do you follow any other tracks of things? Or is this like your main thing? Yeah, the the DB the DB Cooper thing is my main thing. Uh, main thing. Uh, I've also got a particular interest in the Isabel Stewart Gardner Museum heist in the in the Boston area. This is a heist that took place in March of 1990. Uh, some thieves dressed as police officers managed to talk their way into a museum at night and and steal uh, what at that time was value, about $200 million worth of art, 13 masterpieces or pieces of art, uh, which some of which included Rembrandt. Uh, none of the art has ever been recovered. We don't know who the thieves were. You know, it's, it's a big mystery. That art today would be worth uh, between $500 million and $1 billion. Oh my God. Uh, there's, also, there's also a $10 million reward for recovery uh -oh. of that art. $10 million reward, but... Uh, that's a case I've spent a lot of time on. Uh, there's one per, one suspect, uh, a guy named Brian McDevitt, who I'm convinced was involved with this thing. Brian McDevitt's no longer alive, but 
Uh, so I spent a lot of time looking into Brian McDevitt, his former girlfriend at that time, who knew nothing of any of this stuff. I know I know her quite well. Uh, so I've uh, yeah. So that's a, that's a case that I actually think has the possibility of some some resolution as well, along with the DB Cooper case. But that's that's one other case I'm, I have particularly interested in. So any reward for solving the DB Cooper case? No, no, other than uh, just to be able to say, hey, I'm the but person who solved the D.B. Cooper case. Yeah. The but FBI the reality is, is right? <laughs> yeah, what's yeah. that? The FBI has closed the case, right, officially? They, the way the FBI terms it is they have administratively closed the case. So what that basically means, it's it's kind of closed. But if somebody came along and said, hey, I found a parachute that belonged to D.B. Cooper or $194,000 of the ransom, the FBI would immediately reopen the case and uh, and and dig into it. So, but for all intents and purposes, the case is closed. The FBI is doing nothing. If this case is going to get solved, it's going to be uh, by way of citizen sleuths such as myself, people in the private sector that are pursuing leads and evidence and things of that nature. Yeah. So what what is it about it that makes you want to do this? Like, why are people so into these cold cases? Is it just is it the thrill of the hunt and you could be the person that figures it out? Is that the main thing? Like we watch detective shows because we want to figure out before the show does who did it, you know? Well, so. maybe, but now I want to solve the $10 million. Yeah, one. Got, I mean, like yeah. no brainer, babe, no brainer. <laughs> I, th I think uh, part of it is the thrill of the hunt. You know, the idea of, you know, tackling a mystery that no one else has been able to, to solve. I think that's part of it. Uh, I know for me, fundamentally, it's the belief that this thing can be solved. I believe there is an answer. Like, there's a lot that we don't know about D.B. Cooper there, but there is also quite a bit that we do know about D.B. Cooper. And I do think that right now, at this point in time, we actually have enough evidence. We, have, we know enough right now to figure out who this guy was. It's just oh. a matter of putting those puzzle pieces together. Yeah. Uh, so... So, yeah, I think the fact that it's just kind of a thrilling thing to do to you know, try to tackle a mystery like that. It's it's an intellectually stimulating task, mm -hmm. obviously, to be successful is 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 kind of a cool thing Yeah, uh, that embedded with this belief that it's actually a doable thing, you know, yeah. that we can actually solve it, I think, is at least speaking for me personally, probably is what primarily motivates me here. Yeah. Well, Eric, you're a fascinating guy. You got a lot going on in that brain. <laughs> keep, that'll keep you young. Just keeping those, you know, keeping your mind yeah. thinking all the time about this. And we appreciate it. Well, I'm going to be waiting. He's going to announce soon who it is. Yeah, I'm going to keep be an waiting. eye on him. You'll be waiting. We thank yeah. you for the insider tip. And we thank you so much for joining us today. Very fascinating conversation. I I didn't know as much about this as you did, so I learned a lot. But now I want to go read about the other one, too, that he's he's looking into. Was there a movie about that one? There was Netflix. Yeah, they Netflix, Netflix on that. Yeah, about the Gardner Museum heist, and I want to say that came out a couple of years ago. Yeah, we, I think we watched. Uh, which, which was okay. I mean, it was you know they did not feature the one individual that I think is actually involved. Yeah. Um. But uh. But it, you know, nonetheless, it was definitely entertaining. It was good in the sense that it gave you an idea of what happened, and and uh, you know, it, it too is a mystery. You know, and the cool thing about it, whether you're talking DB Cooper or the Garden Museum heist, is this: these are real. These are real yeah. things. There are real people behind these things. It's not like we're talking about, 
you know, the, the Loch Ness monster or right. UFOs or Bigfoot or something where it's yeah. like, yeah, is it real or is it not real? Right. You know? yeah. These are definitely real. Yeah. So that, that also plays into it as well. Yeah. Totally intriguing. Okay. Well, we were going to pretend that you were on a stakeout in the car, but you're <laughs> heading to the Harvard Yale game, right? No, Princeton. Uh, Harvard, Princeton, Harvard, yeah. Princeton. Okay, that's yeah. right. yeah. I'm so, assuming he's cheering for Harvard since he's wearing a shirt. So you're yeah, that, that's Harvard correct. Win? Well, I'm sorry. You're, you predict Harvard is going to win then? Well, uh, actually, I'm going to say I'm going to root for Harvard to win. But if I were a betting person, I think I would favor <laughs> Princeton. Okay. Princeton's uh, undefeated. Princeton's undefeated right now. So, uh, but I'm, you know, I'm still rooting for Harvard. So, so you're yeah. just like Ivy League college football or? That's, I'm a big Ivy League college football fan. Absolutely. Right. I, I love right. it. Yeah. Good to know. So That's awesome. Stuff. Well, awesome. Well, thanks for joining us and enjoy the game. Enjoy the game. Thank my, you. My so pleasure. Much. Appreciate Thank you. you. Okay, so are you ready to like solve this other mystery, the Gardner Museum heist? Well, it sounds like Eric's pretty much got DB Cooper figured out. Yeah. So we don't I need mean, to go we're there. We're just gonna let him have that one. And there's no reward. No reward. Other than hey, I'm the one that did it. That's why I ask him that because I'm like, dude, pivot. Because this other one, <laughs> ten million dollars. If you solve DB Cooper, you need to be going solving this other one because that's pretty cool. So that's our new. Yeah. Is that our new thing? Are we going to totally change the podcast and just talk about the Gardner Museum? I don't know if I can do that. It might be kind of boring. I do have a question for you, though. Yeah. If you were to go to CooperCon, yeah, what would you wear as a costume? Oh, gosh. You know me. Which one? You totally know me. I know. but like, I would what... totally have to dress up, even though I'm not oh, like, no. okay. What would you do? Oh, it'd be D.B. Cooper in this in the cool suit with the thin tie and the glasses. You would You're go basically, basic? You're basically looking like Mr. Smith from The Matrix. And I've always wanted to have that look. That is way too basic. Oh no, what would you do? I would just come with like money stuck all over me. Like I was the one that found the money. Right. I just want to be the money finder. Yeah. That's what the whole theme of this is about. Solve the case and be the money finder. Okay. And then you have like all this money. But I guess you have to turn it in. I guess they did turn it in. Well, whoever found it, whoever found the amount they found did turn yeah. it in. Yeah. But I think it'd be funny just to have like money stuck all over you like look what i just found <laughs> okay you could have possibly possibly been a like bar owner in the mountains or something yeah just and you found the money a local washington tonight you have a lot of backstory in yours yeah i'm simply db cooper and you're the person that found the money that's okay. right or i'd come with like dress like with a parachute on or something like that well we know what we're going to be for CooperCon now that's right so that was a really cool story, but I think we have a lot to do on this other one, right? Okay, I guess the Gardner Museum is now what our life is all about. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're quitting our day jobs. We're now reporters and investigators. That's right. You're a sleuth. You're I'm really a citizen sleuth. That's right. <laughs> I learned a lot on this podcast because I just didn't know this story. I didn't know the story until I watched the Netflix. I never even heard of him. Well, I totally, crazy? I was a lot like Eric. He mentioned he saw it around 78. That's probably the same show I saw. Okay. Am and I, it, it intrigued me back then. So. Am I the weird one or are you the weird one? I'm the weird one. Okay. I'm for sure the weird one. Weird. So like yeah. people our age don't really know that much about this. Uh, there's probably, I. you know what? I bet you, and uh, I think most of the people my age the guys probably know something about it because it's a dude that did it and got away with it, an outlaw that got away with it mm -hmm. i think that intrigues the guys yeah. but i'm sure there's women that are also interested in it but i could see it being 
very seductive to young kids and yeah teenagers that saw the story okay you know what i mean well that's cool so well i learned a lot and i think we should go to CooperCon and dress up and then we should get to work on this case <laughs> that's right the garden <laughs> museum we're gonna figure it out before eric does i, I truly doubt that i don't think we are <laughs> but best of luck to you eric that's right <laughs> we hope you enjoyed this interview on db cooper with eric ulis party party five and a half over now we'll see you next time